0: Every show is a dose of inspiration. This is Success Profiles Radio. And now, here's your host, Brian K. Wright.
1: Hello and welcome to Success Profiles Radio. I'm your host, Brian K. Wright, and it's an absolute pleasure to be with you here today. I'm honored that you chose to spend part of your day with me here, and this is going to be an amazing show. I will introduce my guest in a moment, but first I want to take a minute or two to share some things I've been learning and thinking about lately, and I usually do this every single week. It's no secret that things are very tough for a lot of people right now, and I will be the first to admit that I don't always have my A game every day, but I will also let you know that there are three things that I think of that could help all of us. When facing a crisis, the first thing I would say is to be thankful for what you already have. Without gratitude for what you have, it's impossible to attract what you really want. Jack Canfield and I discussed this when he was on my show a few years ago. The second thing is to give yourself something to look forward to. There's something to be said for having hope. When I was in the hospital a few years ago, one thing that kept me going was to make a list of everything I wanted to experience again when I got out. It brightened up my day more than once. And the final piece of advice I will give is to find a need and fill it. When you're focused on helping others, it comes back to you in ways you may never know. If you have connections or resources to help others, why not share it? I find that doing this lifts my mood every time. So those are my three things to think about today. So if you need to pick me up, Once again, be thankful, give yourself something to look forward to, and find a need and fill it. It'll make a huge difference in your day. With all this in mind, I'd like to introduce my guest. His name is Scott DeLong. Let me tell you about him. He's an accomplished entrepreneur, educator, and leadership expert. With his extensive experience and educational background, and through his unique approach, he emphasizes the importance of humility, empathy, and vulnerability in achieving meaningful relationships and organizational goals. He fosters meaningful relationships and builds trust within organizations. His company, Lead to Goals, provides various services from coaching and training to offsite retreats and enabling organizations to develop their corporate culture, enhance communication and achieve strategic objectives. We have so much to unwrap and unravel today. So without further delay, here is my very special guest, Scott DeLong. Scott, how are you? Welcome
2: to the show. I'm doing great, Brian. Thank you. and Thank you for having me. I really appreciate being here.
1: Hey, you're so very welcome. So the first thing I love asking is, did you envision early on that you would be where you are right now?
2: That's a, that's an interesting question. I think I, I kind of live my life day to day, although I have a vision for the future. Um where I am today, happy, yes. Mm-hmm. I envision myself being happy. I, 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 honestly, I, that, that's really what my my ultimate goal. I have two goals in life, right? One is to be happy and the other was to raise good kids. Yeah, And I think, yeah, I did envision where I am today. Not That's not wonderful. doing exactly the same work, but right. where I envision where I am today, yes.
1: Right. Well, when we were younger, we probably didn't know that the work we're doing now even existed, right?
2: Yeah, no question. I was going to be a baseball player. In a oh, really? Up. So, what yeah.
1: Did, what position did you play?
2: I was a center fielder. I played at BYU, uh, Brigham Young University. Um as a non-Mormon, I went to a Mormon school and mm-hmm. and uh, played there and had a really great baseball career and experience. It was wonderful.
1: So you were fast.
2: I was fast, but not ultra fast. Mm. the The thing that I did really well was anticipation. I could I could see things. I had I had vision for the field, so I got good jumps on balls. I stole a lot of bases, did things like that. So I had enough speed, but. I wasn't. I wasn't like the the you know the, the four three forty guys, the the mm-hmm. really really fast dudes. No. Wow,
1: that's fantastic. So, what did your path look like prior to your current career?
2: Well, when I when I got out of college, um, I went to work for a family friend. Uh, actually, his son was my best friend, and his son died in a car accident. And I kind of became a surrogate son, and I went to work for this organization. Uh, in the sales world, and um, I did that for a few years. Uh, got promoted to vice president at a pretty early age. I was a I was a high achieving kind of guy, and and got I was a vice president by the time I was twenty seven of a mm-hmm. national organization, and um, and I got tired of that, and then I just started working for myself and building businesses. That's uh, fantastic. The first, the first one was a telecommunications. Actually, the first couple were telecommunications uh, businesses and uh, i knew nothing about it but i had a had a partner in the first business that was really good at the hands-on the operational side of things but he had no idea on the organizational side or the or the sales side so i came in and and um, uh, took over those kind of parts and we we had a very successful partnership for about eight years and uh and then i started my own company by myself after that because partnerships are tough yeah. um, partnerships are really tough and th- there's a lot of value to them as well but they're difficult to navigate it's, it's like being married only without the the, the intimacy right you said you have the same yeah. fights that married couples have but then you don't have the intimacy to make up that that a married mm. couple might have so well, uh, so I found partnerships hard and, and so I decided to go out on my own and do do my own thing
1: yeah uh, so how do you choose a good business partner? Reflecting back, what would you have picked differently in a business partner?
2: I wouldn't have picked differently in a business partner. I would. I I picked the right person, mm-hmm. and I think we were both too immature to learn to grow together. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't the partner's fault. It wasn't. You know, I don't like I don't like blaming others, but it was a. Uh, you know, we were we were young. We were aggressive, we were underfunded, and we kept building and it kept us poor for quite a while, right this being underfunded while you're growing a business is, is difficult so we mm-hmm. we were living hand to mouth mm-hmm. um, and we had all those same kind of struggles that young married couples have we sure. it really I, I, that correlation really makes sense to me yeah um, and we didn't grow together,
1: yeah one thing that you did say a minute or two ago is that you chose someone who was good at stuff that you weren't good at. I think that's really important.
2: Absolutely. Complementary complimentary skill sets. Um, you, 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 I mean, you think about uh, 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 Eastern philosophies and the yin and yang, and, and they, they, they complement each other and they create the circle. And I think complementary person, uh, um, complementary personalities Although not yes men, yes people, um, but with with skill sets that don't align. So I'll, mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. In that first business, we you know Ed had his side of the world, and I had my side of the world, and then we had an overlap at about ten percent on things mm-hmm. that you know we both could do, mm-hmm. and that's where our, our problems came. Right, I gave him space to do his side; he gave me space to do my side. But when we got into that ten percent thing, the the power struggles and the egos and all those things got in the way, mm-hmm. um, and, and that and that ultimately, I mean, he and I are still great great friends today, you know, twenty years later. Mm-hmm. But that got in the way of continuing the partnership in the way that we had envisioned it. Sure,
1: I love that. So, what did your early experiences teach you about leadership? Because I know that's something that you're very much into right now, and it's a huge need.
2: Yeah well my early experiences on leadership were were co- completely contrary to the way that i approach leadership today
0: mm. so
2: i grew up in an era where men didn't cry where mm-hmm. uh vulnerability was a, a liability and not an asset mm-hmm. in, in in the management style you would call it command and control leadership mm-hmm. you would have the boss who would make the decisions and the marching give the marching orders and everybody else would go down and, and march through those and and i'm completely different than that today um and and, and i don't believe that the, while there are some aspects of command and control leadership that are still valuable for instance there's two places that i think that it still makes sense one is when time is of the essence you know we don't have time to call a meeting or two it, in an emergency uh, if there's a if the building's on fire we're not going to call a meeting mhm you call 911. You get the troops and get them out the door. You grab the fire extinguisher, right? That command and control mm-hmm. still makes sense when time is of the essence or there's an emergency. But in most other situations, it mm-hmm. just does not apply and work the way people intend it to work. Yeah. Now, it's still, it's still an efficient manner of leadership. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. works in the short term,
3: mm-hmm. but it's not
2: an effective style of leadership, meaning okay. for the long term and building organizations sure. and building culture and building the kind of structures that and right. and especially with, with the, the young people today.
3: Mm-hmm. I mean,
2: you, you think about the, the millennials and the Gen Zs and and maybe even some Gen Xers that that you know that didn't grow up with that command and control style that mm-hmm. I learned in sports and then mm-hmm. in business, right? It, mm-hmm. it was it was prevalent. Yeah. So the the young folks today aren't going to put up with it. In fact, you'll see yeah. that when you look at the, the trends in turnover, mm-hmm. you know, companies are experiencing fifty percent turnover, mm-hmm. you know, twenty five. That's that's just way too much. Yeah, and the reason people are turning over because because they're not happy doing what they're doing.
1: Yeah, I would it's imagine all about money. I would imagine that the military is another place where that might apply, though too. Right, command and the control. Military,
2: the military is even changing. Yeah, Yeah, the military is even changing where you you, where people now. Now, there's certainly still a command and control element to the military. Absolutely. Um, But leadership is now learning Mm -hmm. and recognizing that the guy that's carrying the rifle Mm -hmm. knows a little bit about shooting that rifle or Mm -hmm. how to get through the mud or all that. You know, I said in the business world that the CEO shouldn't be hiring, shouldn't be ordering the brooms. The janitor right. is the is the person that knows how to use the broom and which broom is going to be much more effective. So let's get some more collaboration and let's get understanding from the people that are doing the work.
1: Absolutely, what they need. Yeah, we've got about a minute and a half to our first break. What do you think is the highest value skill anyone can develop? Listening. I love that.
2: I, I think that is without a doubt the highest valuable skill. Not for. For the reasons that, that that most people think. Yes, you're going to gain more information when you listen. You'll mm-hmm. get a better understanding in, of, of the things that are around you. You'll get past some of the tunnel vision that we might have. But the other portion of listening I think that is, that is high value is that it allows the people that you're listening to to feel valued. And when mm-hmm. they do, you'll get more from them.
1: Absolutely. We're coming up against our first break. My very special guest this week is Scott DeLong, and we will talk more after the break. I loved what we talked about in this first segment about what Scott learned about leadership and how leadership is changing. And we'll explore that even more, and we'll just explore the type of work that he's doing, consulting with, with organizations and building teams and building leadership. And we'll come right back after the break. This is Success Profiles Radio. Please stay with us.
0: The mission is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio. It's never heard.
3: July is National Ice Cream Month. As if we needed a reason to celebrate ice cream. Would you believe the average American eats 45.8 pints of ice cream a year? Here's the scoop on some ice cream lingo. In Pennsylvania, the paper cone used to hold ice cream is called a toot. Sprinkles or jimmies on top of ice cream are called ants in California and outsiders and logs in Vermont. The world record for ice cream eating is 1.75 gallons in 8 minutes. Oh, I feel a brain freeze coming on. What's another word for brain freeze? Sphenopalatine ganglia neuralgia. It's words you I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words.
1: Have you ever thought about writing a book? We are back. This is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest this week is Scott DeLong. And if you have not downloaded and subscribed to Success Profiles Radio on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, please do that. Leave a five-star review if you would. I would greatly appreciate that and would be eternally thankful for that. So, Scott, let me ask you next. What do you think is the most expensive mistake you have ever made it can be financial it certainly doesn't have to be it could be something you held on to for too long it could be something that you didn't do soon enough but what's the most expensive mistake you think you've ever made
2: i think the most expensive mistake that i ever made and and it was when i was young was to assume that i was the smartest person in the room no matter Mm -hmm. what room and in this case i'm talking about in my home and uh, i went through a divorce when i was 27 years old and both financial but emotional mistake it was the much it was the most expensive mistake that I ever made. And uh, uh, assuming go, going back to the, you know, the 50s and 60s and all that and the father knows best era and and that what dad says rules kind of concept. And, and that's kind of how I approached my my first family. And uh, it was a huge mistake.
1: Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. I wasn't expecting that answer, but it's valuable to anybody out there who feels the need to be right all the time. Listen to what he just said. You don't have to be right all the time. Sometimes keeping the peace is more important than being right. So, Scott, let me ask you, what does it take to be successful in business?
2: Well, it takes it takes a bunch of things to to be successful in business. Certainly, you, you need to you need to be able to fill a need. You need to have you need to have customers, obviously, uh, and those customers need to have uh, or they have a problem. And if you have a solution to their problem, that's that's step one. Mm-hmm. But that's just that's the, the that's the barrier to entrance that just gets you in the door. There are so much more to operating a business, growing a business, being successful in a business mm-hmm. than just serving that need. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, the first part is, is recognizing that you, the, the entrepreneur, the, the founder, the, whatever that's going to be, you can't do it alone. You, mm-hmm. you, you don't, While you may be talented in all kinds of areas. Um, you know, I, I believe in, in a real estate concept that says highest and best use of a property. Mm-hmm. What is the highest and best use of a property? And I say the same thing about People, What is the highest and best use of my time, of the people that are work for me's time? And so I think the the second portion is to recognize that you can't do it alone and then to start hiring and working with quality people on your side.
1: I love that. So let's talk about your actual work now. So how do you pick the right consultant or coach to work with?
2: Well, the way it typically works is it's a word of mouth kind of business, right? Mm -hmm. You've had some success with a client and they have relationships with other people that are experiencing similar kind of issues. Not the same issue, not the same issue, but similar kind of experiences. Right. And um, and they will, you know say, hey, you need to go see Scott. You need to talk to him. This He mm-hmm. he can be helpful. Mm-hmm. But that's only step one. Mm-hmm. You, you need to then interview, just like you would if you're going to go on a date and interview the person you're dating or interview an, a prospective employee or interview somebody that's going to be a friend. I'm using the word interview loosely, but mm-hmm. it's having a conversation mm-hmm. to make sure that you can resonate with the person that's sitting across from you. Yeah. To, and re- by resonate. I mean, um, that there's some sort of connection, that there's some sort of feeling to say, this person might be good for me. This person, this person has something to offer. Mm -hmm. I may not like everything about this person. Like, Mm -hmm. for instance, I'm going to tell you that, that I think there's three things that a coach can do for you. The first one is they can help you reframe an issue. We get locked into. What I'm going to call tunnel vision again into what we see as the, our world view and that's the way life is and there are so many other things that we can see. so reframing the issue to say, oh there's another way of looking at this So that's one thing a coach can help you do. Mm-hmm. The second thing that they can do is to challenge your assumptions to give you some direct, and honest feedback. Now, I do it in the form of asking questions. I will never tell a client they're wrong. I'm going to hesitate when I say that. If somebody's going to shoot somebody on the street, yeah, that's wrong. But I won't say, no, that was a pretty bad decision you just made. What Mm -hmm. I would do is I would ask them questions to lead them to come up with the answer that's going to fit them best. So I ask a series of open-ended questions to get them in their minds and thinking about okay, that might not have worked the way I wanted it to. What might I try next, right? Mm-hmm. What, what might be my next thing and what might be the consequences, both positive and negative of that? So challenge their assumptions. And the third thing that a coach can do is hold you accountable. Very few CEOs, entrepreneurs, well, CEOs in larger companies have a board of directors that they're held accountable to, sure. but very few of the entrepreneurial type CEOs that I tend to work with have anyone that can hold them accountable yeah they're the boss they they yeah. make the rules when they don't do something right they make an excuse for that yeah. the coach can do that for you as well because yeah. it, it's really my job to say listen yeah. you said you're going to do this and you didn't mm-hmm. help me understand yeah.
1: One of my favorite open-ended questions regarding what you're saying is, what if this assumption isn't really true, then what has to be true?
2: Well, sure. But, but, you know, truth, truth has different, different context depending on point of view. Sure. Sure. So yeah. while they, and this is where I'm saying, help reframe and seeing from another perspective. Sure. I think is, is helpful. Uh, what, and what a coach can do for you is mm-hmm. that, from your point of view, mm-hmm. what you see is what you see, and that is your truth. Sure. And there are other ways of looking at this. Yeah. And one of my favorite lines that or sayings, I don't know, line, saying, is when everybody else looks wrong, mm-hmm. it might not be them. Aha. So what's my part in this? Right. And those are the kind of things that I bring to my clients.
1: That's absolutely amazing. So what results do people want when they hire you?
2: Well, their stated results and what they really want sometimes are two different things. That's fair. Stated results saying they want to learn and grow and they want to be a better human. Often what I find when people first hire me is they want someone to confirm what they're thinking. Confirm I'm going the right way. Confirm I'm doing this. Confirm that. Because, again, if they don't have accountability, they also want to have somebody that, that they value, or somebody with some intelligence, some experience, some things. That's going to say, you know what, keep going. This is the right way. And I think a lot of times that's what, that's what my clients really want. And rarely is that what they get from me.
1: Mm. That's, that's <laughs> awesome. I, and, I love and, that. And trust
2: me, they may be going down the right way sure. and I'm still going to challenge their assumptions.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful. So tell us about your company lead to goals. How did you start this and what need in the marketplace are you filling?
2: Yeah. Well, it's, it's evolved in the past seven years. It started out as a, well, and it, and it continues to be, it's, it's my retirement program. It's what I'm going to do the rest of my life. I'm going to work the rest of my life because I love the work. So I knew that that's, what's going to happen. And I love working with people. So it started out at, with, um, a group of, of people that, that, uh, it's a, they call it a forum. It's with entrepreneur organization. And, and I had a friend, that has a, um, a forum, they call it in San Antonio, Texas, and they wanted to do an offsite retreat. And, and he thought that I would be a good facilitator for that. So I thought, wow, that was great. So they came out to our, our mountain cabin and we took these 10 guys through a series of exercises, half day work. And then the other half day they went skiing and played and, you know, did all kinds of fun things. But, um, I, I, um, put together a program to get to challenge them a little bit on their group and their individuals, um, uh, goals and responsibilities with not just with their business, but with their business and their families and, and, and and all of that. And it turned out great. It, to me, those two and a half days that I spent with these, with these gentlemen, and they were all men, um, was inspiring. Mm -hmm. First it, it, um it to me it was like taking a drug i was i was high at, at yeah. the end of it. it was it was awesome i just felt great and um so so let me explain what that looks like being a facilitator mm-hmm. for something like that so you get to go to a really cool place you get to hang out with some really smart people 8 mm-hmm. 10 smart people ask a few questions get out of their way mhm Learn and absorb everything that they're doing right Mm -hmm. and talking about and then ask a few more questions Mm -hmm. But I get to learn a lot by by sitting in this room and at the end of this they do two things one They thank you. They say wow, that was great And Mm -hmm. it really wasn't I just asked a few questions, right? Right. And then they pay me So here I am sitting on a beach with smart people. They say thank you and they pay me. I thought well, that's a career so That's I took a good this, job. Yeah. One instance <laughs> and, and designed this, this career based on facilitating those kind of retreats. And um, what it led into was a little bit uh, deeper. It, the next thing that started happening is some of these folks would come back and ask for some direct coaching. So, much like um, I, what some of my clients call it, it's like therapy for business mm-hmm. the coaching sessions, the one on one coaching. And then they asked, what can you do with my organization? Can you bring this retreat kind of setting in and and teach leadership and communications and conflict mitigation and emotional intelligence? And we've developed a lot of different courses and workshops that we now bring to small groups within the organization. So I do three things. Um, I still do the retreats, whether they're strategic planning or whether they're team building or whatever you might want to call that. And it's not ropes courses and fun and games. It's it's work, right? Yeah, yeah. work. So I and then I do I teach the courses and seminars, which are uh, courses something that takes an hour and a half a week for six consecutive weeks. It's kind of like a a college grad a, a, a grad school program in university,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and it's really a, a not only fun but but really enlightening and helps really build teams. Um, The workshops is just a four hour kind of a a session on a specific topic, building Mm -hmm. trust, building a team, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, and then so you get the and then the last one is the individual coaching, the one on one executive coaching. And I and I thought I was going to be working with CEOs. But what I've come to find out is that there are a lot of I'm going to say people in the Gen X range that are that work their tails off and get to the vice president level. Mm -hmm. And then there's been some kind of a ceiling that keeps them from the season.
1: Great. And we'll be back.
0: The mission is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life.
1: If you want to know more about how to write a non-fiction book, whether it's business, self-help, or how-to, reach out to me at www.bryankwright.com for more information. Once again, that's BrianKWright.com. If you are in business, what is the number one thing that stops revenue growth? Not having enough leads. Data is the new gold rush
0: Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles, if I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright.
1: And we're back. This is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest this week is Scott DeLong. And we're talking about executive coaching leadership team building and everything that goes along with that and we're talking about retreats right now and I want to ask a question because I belong to uh, an association where they have meetings and sometimes there are 100 to 150 people in the room so they'll do breakout sessions maybe four or five and so you still have 20 25 30 people in the room sometimes the facilitator will go around and give everyone their time which is awesome sometimes the facilitator runs it more like a free for all but then i find that Two or three people dominate the conversation. The rest of us are thinking, "We paid to be here too. Don't we get to talk?" How do you handle that?
2: Well, I mean, honestly, that's the facilitator's job is to make sure that that people get what they what they came for, and um, and, and those things do happen. And and I'm not as much a fan of of the everybody gets their turn because not everybody wants to talk. Right. So, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make somebody. Uh, thinking of the introverts now, right? And, and mm-hmm. not all introverts don't want to talk. They just need to get invited into, into the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I start with the free-for-all kind. We call it free-for-all. That's a little harsh term I'm going to say, sure. but it's not quite what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I control the mic. It's my room, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the reason that I'm there. And when I see people dominating questions, like that. In a large group setting, it's different than in a small group setting, and I can talk a little bit about the, the differences. In a large group setting, the first thing that I'll do is that I will say, "Thank you, Mark." Uh, let's hear what someone on the other side of the room has to say, and then I'd, I'd look for someone that that looks antsy that want that wants to talk. Mm-hmm. And if it continues to happen that Mark or somebody interrupts, then uh, during the breaks I'll go and have a conversation with them, just a direct conversation with them. And say, listen, the purpose of this is other people are wanting to have Mm a conversation. And I've never had the problem where I've had a heckler where someone where someone got upset with that and started really battling. And I've heard that Mm -hmm. happens. Right. I haven't had I haven't had that experience where where it's been so negative, because even in that direct one on one conversation during the break, I'm going to be respectful to Mark. Mm -hmm. I'm going to I'm going to honor his presence mm-hmm. i'm going to say let's talk about this offline let's go get a drink afterwards let's do this but i need the other people in the room to have their opportunity as well and and they tend to get that right mm-hmm. i'm not going to slam somebody tell them hey you're dominating you're you're being a right. i'm not going to i'm not going to go that route because mm-hmm. all that's going to do is create hostility mm-hmm. so i will be respectful to the person during that time and then if it continues to happen the lunch, let's say, right? Mark's not invited back, right?
1: Yeah.
2: So you, you, you vary your, your steps. In a small group, it's a little bit different. So I, I work with, with corporations and we, we do a lot of strategic planning retreats and the CEO brings me in there for one specific purpose. The CEO can do what I do. They can mm-hmm. get a good meeting going. They know how to do that, mm-hmm. right? But they bring me in there so that they can participate rather than dominate. Yeah. It's their intention. It doesn't always work that way, though, because they're used to being the boss and, mm-hmm. and there are times. So I have direct conversations prior to the event with the person in charge. Or if I know that there's going to be some dominating personality there, I'll direct conversations and I'm going to say, listen, um, it's our nature to, you know, take over and be in charge, but you, you want the other, you want the other people to be able to speak and you want to get their opinions and their advice and their thoughts on this. So when I see something that looks like you're starting to go off on a tangent, the first thing I am going to do is going to look, just look over at you to give you a look. You'll know what that means. That look means stop and let other people talk. Yeah. If that doesn't work, I get out of my chair and I walk and stand right next to that person. Mm-hmm. That, Always works. Wow! It always works. I I love that. I don't I have that. to embarrass them. I don't. No one else in the room knows why I'm doing it, mm-hmm. but the CEO knows why I'm doing it.
1: Yeah, that's that's really insightful. I I love that. So, how do you build respect and trust in a group?
2: Um, I, I actually did my doctoral dissertation on building trust in a group, so I'm, I'm, I've got. A lot to say on this subject. So we, I, I, so so you think about old school way of building trust. You do what you say you're going to do, then you do it again, then you do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again, and, it again. and, pe- and eventually people start trusting you, right? They trust that that you have the the will to do it, that you are that you have the skills to do it, and they start trusting you. So we've created a a, a concept called the circle of trust, and it's a really just a four step process that can build trust not only faster but deeper. And this can apply to one-on-one relationships, it can require to, to group relationships, teams and all of that. The four steps are very simple and they and they go and they tie really nicely into my my leadership philosophies of humility, empathy and vulnerability. So mm-hmm. let me tell you what the circle of trust looks like. Mm-hmm. The first step is respect. And respect is not the type of respect that my dad taught me. My dad taught me that respect is earned. It's not given. Right. And, and I get that. It makes sense. You got to earn some respect, but this is the type of respect that I, the topic I'm talking about is the respect for human dignity, the respect to recognize that everybody in the room, everybody in the world has value and to, and to provide that, that level of human dignity, respect to somebody start there. The next step is a Stephen Covey concept from the seven habits of highly effective people, which is listening to understand, as opposed to what we tend to do is listen to reply. Mm-hmm. Most of us listen for our chance to get in the conversation, as opposed to trying to understand as much as I can from your point of view, whatever we're talking about. And that does a couple things for us. So we mentioned a little early listening is, is the high, best skill that you can have. which is I'm going to gain more information if I listen and if I really try to understand. But what I'm also going to do is allow you to have a feeling of care, that I care about what you have to say. Even in a conflict situation, listening to understand helps not only get you enough information to help with your side of the the Mm -hmm. argument, if you will, but it takes the hostility out of that person. The first thing that happens when they recognize that I'm trying to fully understand where they're coming from, their shoulders drop a little bit. Mm. It it brings us human connection. So respect, listen to understand. The third concept is one that we call share from experience. Now I learned this in the entrepreneur organization as well. And share from experience just means not giving advice. Simple as that. So I don't give advice. Now I'm gonna participate in the story and say, Huh, that's interesting. Something similar happened to me, and here's what happened, and here's here's what the results were, and here's how it felt. Yeah, not a typical word you see in business coaching feelings, but we all have them, right? right. So listening to un, uh, uh, sharing from experience, probably the best thing I ever did in my career, my life, is I took the word should' Out of my vocabulary. I have no idea what you should do. I know what I would do. I know what I think maybe you could do. But what you should do is up to you. I don't have your background. I don't have your experience. I may not have full understanding of of the situation. And I don't have the consequences that you have. So for me to tell you what you should do is pretty arrogant of me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I love that.
2: Those are, the, those are the first three steps. And the fourth step is the old school, the dependability. Do what you say you're going to do. We call it deliver on the promise. So what we found is that it, to to get to, to build trust with an individual and, and trust leads to relationships because I've never seen a positive human relationship unless trust has been built first. So trust is a, is a primary factor in this. And and if you want to build it faster and deeper, the circle of trust, start with respect, listen to understand, share from experience and deliver on the promise. You get through that cycle three times. You're going to have some trust built and and it can be done faster than that. But there are there are people with a lower propensity to trust and people with a higher propensity to trust. So if I'm a trusting person, you get through the cycle with me one time. We got it right. But even with people with a low propensity to trust, you get through that cycle three times. And you are building trust, even with people that don't normally trust. Yeah. So I say re- faster
1: and deeper. Great. Do you remember your first client? How'd that go? What'd you learn?
2: My first client, uh, I, I, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna pick my first client because my first client probably happened years and years and, years and years and years and years and years ago, but it wasn't really a client. This would have been this would have been somebody that um high energy entrepreneur who was wishy-washy like a lot of entrepreneurs i mean and mm-hmm. i say wishy-washy entrepreneurs are they chase shiny shiny objects right they move from one thing to the next really fast and they hope people can keep up with them and people can't keep up with them so what i learned from this person and he is still my mentor in humility mm. it became by watching this person, there was a lot that, that I had to teach him, certainly. But, but what I learned was the value of humility. This was probably as intelligent and as, as successful as he'd been, one of the most humble people I've ever seen. And what I found was that that humility attracted people to him. Mm-hmm. And, and when I say humility, I don't mean the, the kind of humble that says, oh, please don't throw accolades on me. The humility ties back to that type of respect that I was talking about, which is everybody has value. Mm -hmm. Humble enough to recognize that everybody has value. I don't have to have the only voice.
1: Yeah. That's absolutely fantastic. We've got maybe a minute or so to our final break. What is the most influential book about business or management that you have ever
2: read? There, are, there are two that I'm gonna that I'm gonna state. These are the ones that got me started. Um, I mean, I, I'm biased to my book, obviously. I, I, I like that. But mm-hmm. um, the two that I'm going to suggest, the first one is called Crucial Conversations, and it is how to have a conversation when most people will either run to f- fight or flight, and how to have that. And the second one is a complimentary book to that. It's called Humble Inquiry, and here's the here's the catch. The the uh, subtitle. The gentle art of asking and not telling Mm. and that's been my my approach to the coaching is to ask rather than tell
1: that is absolutely fantastic those are two books that i probably should check out well thank you for sharing that and we will come up To our final segment, as our break is approaching rapidly, I cannot believe how quickly this is going down the stretch we come and return. My very special guest this week is Scott DeLong. If you have not subscribed to Ultimate Achievers Magazine, please do that. You can go to ultimateachieversmagazine.com, pick your subscription option. It's a monthly digital magazine. And if you were to read one issue every week, you would spend more than a year going through all the content on that site, Ultimate Achievers Magazine. We'll be right back.
0: is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life this is success profiles radio
1: if you are in business what is the number one thing that stops revenue growth not having enough leads data is the new gold rush
3: your spouse or mate have any habits that drive you crazy psychology today magazine reports that it's often the pettiest of issues that can tear a couple apart now i don't consider myself a microlipid that's a person totally bothered by trifles but i will admit my husband has a few habits i wish he didn't but then don't we all I admit one of my most annoying habits is I tend to interrupt others while they're trying to speak. In fact, I'm so adroit, I even interrupt myself. What's a word for a person who constantly interrupts others in conversation? An imbuggerist. I suppose if we never annoyed our spouses once in a while, the relationship might get boring. What's another word for a boring person? A whop straw. It's marginally. carolyn davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my new app too funny for words
0: welcome back to success profiles radio so many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have and this show will clearly demonstrate the principles if i can do it you can do it so let's get back to the show this is success profiles radio and here again is your host brian k wright
1: And we're back this is success profiles radio my very special guest this week is scott delong we're talking about executive coaching we're talking about retreats we're talking about team building leadership and management and scott you have a book called i thought i was a leader so why did you write this
2: well i actually wrote it for the people like me right i'm i'm in my early 60s i grew up in this command and control leadership style I learned a new way and found a better way to, to not only to lead, but to live. And so I wrote it for CEOs like myself to give them some perspective and a, kind of a, a, a shot in the arm to say there's a better way. Mm-hmm. And what I found was that that's not who really what my audience was. My audience were were more people in their uh, 40s and, and and even some a little bit younger than that, mm-hmm. that would say, dang, this is the way it should be. I wish my company was like this. Mm-hmm. And for them to, and those are the people that are reaching out and saying, how do I learn more? How can I do more? Because when I'm running the organization, this is how I want to run it. So I wrote it for one audience and come to find out it was a different audience that that actually preferred the message. With people my age, right, the, the 60-year-old folks that, that it, it worked for them. They got where they got and they're on their way out they didn't want to hear a new message. And um, and, and I have a few clients that it's, that they're still like that, that they mm-hmm. didn't want the new message. Um, they're going to get it anyway because yeah. I, I just think it, it's it's added so much value to my life and my leadership, my business, that I'm not going to not say it.
1: Yeah. And, yeah. and And we've talked about humility a little bit on the show today and vulnerability. Those are two huge components to your leadership model, right?
2: Yes. Yeah, Humility, empathy, and vulnerability are the, the So we call it principled leadership. So there's there's a there's whole style of progressive leadership that has transformational leadership and servant leadership and authentic leadership. Those are all wonderful, and they're 50 year old theories. Yeah, and we're still not fully embracing them yet, right? Mm-hmm. So mine took those, added the things that I learned in in some. Um, unusual places, and added what I call principled leadership, mm-hmm. and the principles are just not the principles you'd think of, and they are humility, empathy, and vulnerability. That's you fantastic. still need some of the other things. Authenticity is still important, right? Yeah, um, having some charisma still is important. Those those things still take uh, are required to, to in situations, right? For situational mm-hmm. leadership, but if you lead with humility, empathy, and vulnerability, mm-hmm. people will come. Yeah, People will follow.
1: And a lot of people probably have not had that modeled for them, so they don't know how to do it, right?
2: Oh, I certainly didn't. Um, you know, as I was growing up, vulnerability, as I mentioned earlier, was a liability. In fact, you couldn't be vulnerable in my family of origin. Someone would step on your neck so they could be six inches taller. It's, I, it's just that that's the way it worked. Um, and what I found was that vulnerability is the most attractive quality I can have. Mm. And I'm not talking about physically attractive. I'm talking about attracting people and it works almost everywhere. And and there's, there's some spaces that it doesn't work, right? You cannot, vulnerability does not work with people with antisocial personality disorder, narcissists, Mm -hmm. sociopaths, psychopaths. They don't care, right? Right luckily that's only four to five percent of the 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 world Mm -hmm. the other 95 percent if i'm telling you a story of vulnerability you're going to lean in people will come to you they will Mm -hmm. they say wow i didn't expect that yeah how can i help it is the most attractive quality that i can have
1: that's fantastic. So it's important to get people to work on teams. That's a huge leadership quality. What do you do with the someone with someone who prefers to work alone? Because some people don't, maybe they don't like working on teams, they don't like people. Maybe they have had bad experiences working on teams because the participation and the credit are unequal.
2: Um, so how do you deal with someone who prefers to work alone? There, there's two things about that. I mean, there's three things. One, I mean, maybe there is a Lone Ranger that, that they should be working alone. Okay, mm-hmm. great. That If there's a need for that, then they can do that. Fine. But the first thing that I try to do is I work with the individual and I get him to understand this concept. No matter how smart you are, we are smarter than me. Mm. You still get me, but I get you too. And the combination of those things are going to create almost always something far better than either of us would have come up with on our own we are smarter than me if i can get through to that person in that manner and, re- and get them to recognize that we are smarter than me then there's work to do on building the team as well because because you're right there are there are teams that you've been into like whether it's in college or in the workforce or whatever that There are social loafers. There are people that just don't participate and they take advantage of everyone else doing all the hard work. Here, -hmm. you carry my weight. I'm going to get the same grade as you or we get the same bonus if we make this deal or or whatever. So the construction of the team is part of that, the first portion of that. Complementary skills, a system to communicate and a process to work together, mm. is required to be a team. The other thing that's required for to, to create a true team is trust. We need to be able to trust each other, at least on a cognitive basis, meaning they have the ability to do the thing and they're willing to do it, right? Mm. I think there's two levels of trust. There's, a, there's an affective trust as well that that, that really helps build a team, and that's the last piece. To go from building a group to a team, we need to have a mission, and purpose that we can align on. We need to have complementary players. We need to have a system to communicate and a process to work. We need to have trust to get a high functioning team. There's one more characteristic that needs to take place. Care. Mm. We need to care for and with each other. Mm -hmm. And then you can get a high functioning team, not just a team. So I think the word team gets overused. Everyone says, oh, my team is this and my team is that. That's not a team. That's a group of people coming together to get something done. Yeah. We don't have a system to communicate. We don't have a, system. We don't have a process to work together. We might have a shared mission, you know, um, and we might have complementary players, but the complementary players weeding out those social loafers and making sure that they do not become on my team. If I, again, I mentioned as a baseball player, can't have nine shortstops. No. You need a right fielder. I mean, mm-hmm. What are the characteristics of a right fielder? What does that typically do versus a mm-hmm. first baseman versus a second versus the catcher versus the pitcher, right? The complementary skills in order to form that team need to be there. And just because you have the skills doesn't mean you can be on my team.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. You have to be very selective about your team for sure. Yep. Tell us a little bit about your podcast, the CEO podcast.
2: Ah, that was fun. So, this started out with a, a friend of mine who happens to only live a couple of miles. He's a, he's a friend and a client. And and actually, uh, he was an EO member as well. That's how I first met him. And he became a client. Then he became a friend. And I'd heard that that he was um, thinking about career change, you know, selling off his company and and doing all that. So I called him up and I, I said, hey, you want to get together, go have a beer? So we sat in his backyard and we started talking about you know, life, how the kids, how this, how that, talk about what is he planning and doing next. And and that hour went so fast. It was so much fun. We talked about everything in an hour. And it was, and, and I said, well, come on, let's come over to my house the following. The following week, he came to my house. We sat in the backyard, same thing, T- had a beer, talked about this, talked about that. And it led, and in the middle of that conversation, I said, people need to hear this. Let's do a podcast. So that's how it started. It started as a backyard conversation with another business leader about the things that we find important.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And for we we're, we're into our fifth season right now. and for the first three seasons, we didn't do any guests. We just had our backyard conversations. And then we started bringing in guests because, you know, we're getting boring. so let's bring mm-hmm. in someone else with a different perspective and and uh, and engage with them. And it's not an interview. We don't do the interview. Uh, type podcast, we mm-hmm. have a conversation yeah. about an issue that's important. Yeah. And that's it's just, a bla- for us, it's, it's fun to do and it's content worth listening to.
1: Good. And we can find that on Apple Podcast, iTunes, right?
2: Apple Podcasts, we have a YouTube, so we do video as well um, because... We want, we want to see people, we want people to see us smiling and having fun too. So Apple and Spotify and Google and anywhere that you get your, your contest, but you, you can also just go to the CEO podcast.net and then the links to all those things are up there as well.
1: Fantastic. We've got less than three minutes until the end. Uh, What are your top core values that you run your company by?
2: Well, respect, Mm -hmm. trust. courage and willingness
1: that's absolutely beautiful i love that
2: they're actually on the back of my business i mean people don't have business cards anymore but i have a business card and those are written on the back of my business card because those are core values mm-hmm. core meanings. they're not changing right these are yeah. things i'm willing to do no matter what
1: Yep, for sure and as we begin to wind down the question i ask everyone scott who inspires and motivates you
0: <sighs> it's
2: not an individual, but it's, it's a, a personality. Mm-hmm. And it's a personality that, that draws other people in. And I think about, you know, when I was growing up, my father was uh, not a very high-achieving kind of guy, but people liked him.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And he would have conversations with strangers, and it would embarrass the heck out of me back then. It was, like, weird. But what I found is that that is the personality type that inspires me today. Those that can reach out to others and make a human connection.
1: Fantastic. And the final thing, where can we find you? Where can we try with you and vibe with you?
2: You can always go to my website, lead to the number two, goals.com. You can you can email me and I will respond to every every email. Scott at lead to And um and I've got social media everywhere, you know, LinkedIn and and uh, facebook and instagram and all of that but the the, the director approaches works best with me scott at lead to and we'll start talking
1: and it's the number two lead the number two goals correct that's right
2: lead the number two goals.com
1: scott thanks for being here it was a privilege to have you here today
2: all right oh, i appreciate being here brian thanks for having me on
1: You're very welcome. And thanks to all of you for listening. This has been Success Profiles Radio. Join us every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, where I interview another world-class achiever, what they did with the overcame and the lessons we can learn along the way. Until then, take care. Have a great week, everyone. Goodbye.